0: Hello, movie fans, and thank you for opening up another episode of Concessions with Dan and I. You may be asking yourself why we're releasing two M. Night Shyamalan films in a row. Well, there's a couple of reasons. First, Shyamalan is a divisive figure in Hollywood. There are folks who stand by his films through thick or thin, and others who stopped giving him the benefit of the doubt years ago. Excellent fodder for some concessions. Second, while we were discussing Knock at the Cabin, Signs came up again and again as a companion piece with both films sharing common bonds of faith and the apocalypse viewed through the eyes of an unconventional family in a claustrophobic setting. So we thought it would serve you well to have access to both discussions one after the other. If you're enjoying Concessions, give us a like, a follow or a rating on your podcast app of choice and find us online. Myself on threads at Jared Concessions, and Dan on X at Dan Concedes. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy hearing Dan and I unpack M. Night Shyamalan's terrifying alien invasion flick, Signs.
1: Attention, attention, citizens of Earth, this a very important news bulletin. This is Concessions, and I am Dan. And I'm
0: Jared, and I want to believe. Which, <laughs> is, the, which is the actual title of a movie that we are not here to discuss today. <laughs> but I thought that it, that was also a nice double entendre uh, that works in the exact same manner as the actual title of this movie does as far as we use french
1: terms this is a highbrow podcast here folks what's our what what french term did we use We said entendre
0: Entendre. yeah i'm i wonder if i've ever said the word garage on this podcast wait garage
1: garage it's very french like like a car garage garage yeah i mean it does sound french yeah but I, I just hear my, like, if you, like, if you dad, say it, garage.
0: Uh, if you say it enough times and you soften that second <laughs> G enough, just whisper you know,
1: sweet nothing, just mm, garage.
0: Yeah. You know, before <laughs> we get into any uh, more, you know, deep philosophical conversations, uh, Dan, Dan, <laughs> Dan, what are you drinking?
1: Uh, I am uh, because I'm officially back after a, a, like a seven week hiatus away from the great state of California. I am back with a nice California beer. Uh, It's called a Swami's India Pale Ale from Pizza Port, which Mm. I'm sorry to hurt the feelings of the good listeners from the West Coast, but I have tried Pizza Port many a time. I love their beer. Don't care for their pizza. It's okay. No, Pizza Port is a far better brewery than pizzeria. Mm, Yep.
0: I go there for the beer. I hang around because there's pizza around, I guess. Um, I myself am drinking two pints of Guinness in one chilled <laughs> mason jar, as I'm wont to do. I did it nice, proper. I, I rinsed out the mason jar, and then the last the last time I you know took a pass with rinsing it with water, I then st- stuck it upside down in the freezer so it got nice and chilly and glass before pouring the beer into it. The upside down actually is a very good idea. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so that, that way you don't have, end up with like too much. Melted ice, otherwise known as water,
1: in your beer. <laughs> that is still one of the dumber jokes. Oh, what is it? Is it Rookie of the Year with the hot mm-hmm. ice joke? Have you seen Rookie of the Year? If I have, it's been a while. Basically, it's like, you know, pitchers, they either heat their arm to heal it or yes. ice their arm. And so the pitcher goes like, I've I've done it both. Hot ice. You get ice, you get it hot. Hot ice. Both. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't
0: want... <laughs> any water in my beer because uh, water is deadly. Oh,
1: yeah. Mm, no, no. Yeah, it, it yeah. hurts.
0: Burns skin. It burns the skin. It's got
1: amoebas in it. It's
0: got a hair in it. <laughs>
1: you it's don't it's even know it's the tap water. It, it's contaminated. I mean, I hear the water's turning the frogs gay these days. It has dust in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Everything's turning the frogs gay. You know what? <laughs> if anything is turning the frogs gay, it's just sexy frogs. I mean, I've seen some of them. They got legs on them. They're they're, they're leggy little beasts. Yeah, and they're they're nature's fleshlight. Interesting. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, fit fishes are nature's fleshlight. Obviously, obviously, we um, do not condone bestiality on this podcast. That is a joke.
1: I believe this is a movie podcast and we're talking about a movie that we saw recently. We are, but before we talk about a movie that we both saw recently, what else did we see these past
0: couple of weeks? <laughs> this is We've gone <laughs> quite a long time without chatting amongst each other <laughs> and uh, uh, I've seen some shit oh, in t- the past couple uh, of do weeks. Do
1: tell, do tell, go on.
0: Well, The thing that I've looked at with my eyes the most over the past couple of weeks is the Threads app. Hmm. It's like uh, if Twitter worked, it's wonderful. It being so new and these high profile people, you know, not having quite the following that they have on Twitter, or Instagram yet. Although in theory, you think that the st- it would be the same following as Instagram, but, you know, um, it's because it's, it's slowly getting there as more people sign up. I'm getting a lot more engagement from from people that I'm fans of right? Like getting oh, I got fo- followed by Regal Cinemas because every time they post anything I comment,
1: hey you guys. Oh no. So um, I only just saw the Regal Cinemas like promo ad for the first time watching Asteroid City a couple weeks ago and I sent Jared a message afterwards like I think this one is actively competing to be even more like brain breaking than Nicole Kidman one for AMC and he informed me he's like no that one's older actually. Oh yeah, the Regal one I think predates the AMC one by just like
0: a few weeks or something. In back in like tw- like early twenty twenty one, something in the water an advertising uh, department within theater chains. I saw some fun mean- memes about the the AMC one uh, about how, how like it's it's weird watching it right before Mission Impossible. She's like <laughs> she's like somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Oh, Cue Tom wonderful. Cruise's asymmetrical teeth he's a pretty boy but i don't have a tooth right in the middle of my face well you know it's the flaws that make us perfect yeah he's a he's a cute old man for sure no but uh what i'm psyched about like just actively still just uh just energized by is we're recording this in right in the middle of july and a couple weeks from now the new A twenty four horror film, Talk to Me, is getting oh, a wide yeah. release, and I saw that. Uh, I saw an early re- early screening of that that my favorite movie chain, Regal Cinemas, did uh, as part of their Monday mystery movie. And Dan, you know that you know just like what the energy in a room is like, where when you're going to go see a movie and you don't know what it is. And there's a big crowd and then the movie starts and it's exactly what you wanted it to be. Uh, like, yeah. The, the realization dawns on everyone there and like, Oh yeah. Yeah. On, on the cool kids. Anyway, there were some, uh, <laughs> there were some people who are not the intended audience for a movie such as this. Oh yeah. And so watching the walkouts throughout the movie, this is definitely the best movie I've ever seen with the amount of walkouts <laughs> that it got, except maybe some other scary movies that I've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this movie fucking rocks. I can't wait to do a whole episode on it. We're going to do that. I'm going to see it again as soon as I can. The only thing that I will say about it is the thing that keeps going through my head is I remember when Hereditary came out. There was a lot of marketing, like some critic said that it was the exorcist for a new generation. And I, w- I thought that was like pretty hyperbolic. And Hereditary is a great movie. I love Hereditary, but I don't really get that comparison. Talk to me is Gen Z's Exorcist. Ooh. F- for sure. Like the exact same sense of dread and just unease and just just feeling like it's wrong permeates this movie. And um, I'm excited for you to see it and for us to
1: talk about it at length. Oh, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm a, as a card carrying money likes movies. I like my 24 horror movies. So that was, that was always one I wanted to see, but I'm uh, from, a, yeah. You especially saying that it's like, yep, that one, that one's firing off on all cylinders. That means a yeah. lot. You know, and it, it definitely don't, um, don't expect an a
0: 24 quote unquote horror movie because I feel like a 24 is really the face of like that quote unquote elevated horror. Maybe like well, Where- you tell
1: me with this one, it's like, there have been people like the last few years where it's like a 24 is almost like kind of cannibalizing itself and becoming a parody of itself. So maybe no. it's them trying to like, be like, no, 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 We don't do just like mm, sophisticated yeah. elevated horror.
0: Yeah. Cause when I hear, when I hear quote unquote, A 24 horror movie, I think of like a really solid character drama that has horror elements of, to various degrees. Right. Um, no talk to me is a f- fucking, wild ass ride of a straight up horror movie it uh, it it uses the same framework that the exorcist uses that um any number of like possession movies or paranormal like haunting movies or curse movies um uses kind of a similar framework i mean it, it's got some like Maybe some It Follows to it, or maybe a little bit of The Ring. But no, it's just a mean, fucking scary, shocking movie. And I'm so excited to see it again. It's a demonic little flick. It's just a demonic little flick. It's Australian, and so those Australians are adorable. And watching this (laughs) stuff happen to
1: them just hurts. It's funny that you bring up The Exorcist. Um, I'm actually most of the way through reading it right now. And I gotta say, I like the book better. I read the book earlier
0: this year. might have been late last year. Mm-hmm. uh i i was frankly just um a little bit taken by just how identical the movie is
1: oh it's al- yeah it's almost one-to-one i guess like you know it's always the mm, the Bungan manner but it's for the advantage that books always have is they have the room and space to just dig a little deeper on yeah things.
0: yeah yeah actually like seeing inside of karis's head goes a long way
1: certainly no well, and that's what i think is cool welcome to the exorcist podcast i guess um that's what i thought was so cool is how much agency they like she already had a ton in the movie but she had even more when you're in her head and you're seeing like how she thinks and acts like you you see just how much of like a, a strong character she is uh, as written really everyone like you get definitely you definitely get more
0: of that desperation inside the the main lady's head i just uh i don't remember her name chris um chris yeah and I, I feel like maybe you get a little bit more insight into her, like her job, like her career as an actor, her mm-hmm, relationship mm-hmm. with the, uh, the director guy who gets got, maybe there's more, there's, there's more of that than in the movie. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it, but, um, I did, I did, was a little bit maybe displeased that it wasn't more different from the movie. And I guess that's, oh, yeah. that's to be expected that, I mean, I'm fairly certain that, that William Peter Blatty wrote the screenplay,
1: Regardless of specifics, it was definitely written with a cinematic adaptation in mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um,
0: let me know what you think when you finish it. I'm uh, I'm trying to decide which which novel in a similar vein to read soon. I'm either going to do the Sentinel or uh, the Omen. Mm, cool, cool. Um, and I I really like both of those movies, and I haven't haven't read the books. One horror movie while it not may not be a generation's exorcist because it shares very little common DNA with the exorcist, but is my exorcist in that it's the movie that is, there might be one or two movies that give it a run for its money in this regard. But the movie we're talking about tonight is the movie that has scared the absolute fucking pants off of me the (laughs) most in my life. And I'd love to try to figure out why that is. I'm not alone in that sentiment. Like this movie often gets brought up in the conversation when people are just listing out the scariest movies they've ever seen. Um, this definitely is never far from the top of the list when that question gets asked on Reddit or, you know, just like casual conversations like with horror fans. Uh, Signs does get brought up a lot in that conversation is one of the scariest. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's probably the absolute scariest. So Signs is from 2002, it was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, following up his back-to-back hits that he had with The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Signs was similarly a, a, a critical and commercial success. Uh, stars Mel Gibson, asterisk we'll get to, Joaquin Phoenix, tiny, tiny little Abigail Breslin in her first role, predating like Little Miss Sunshine and some of her other breakouts like Zombieland. Rory Culkin, Cherry Jones, who's just phenomenal in absolutely everything and she is here as well. And then uh, Shyamalan himself as uh, he usually does inserts himself into the movie in, in a, a small but uh, in this case extremely pivotal role. And I think uh, as far as the, the the rest of the credits go like the most you know, the, the most compelling contributor other than who I already listed has to be uh, composer James Newton Howard mm-hmm. who did the score for M Night Shyamalan's movies that predate this, and he did all of the rest of M Night Shyamalan's movies up until uh, his final one was After Earth. He hasn't done like the most recent eight years or so of Shyamalan movies, but he did all of them before uh, The Visit. What What was your previous relationship with this movie? Or maybe, maybe actually, I should go first since I chose it. I already alluded to this, but Signs absolutely just petrified me the first time I saw it. And not even just like it thrilled me while I was watching it. Like it rattled me for like a week or two after seeing it until I could see it more times and uh, sufficiently demystify it in my own head. You felt that way, and your response was to go back to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I was, I was fifteen when this came out, or I was Mm -hmm. about to turn fifteen. Either it was. I mean, it it came out the year I turned fifteen. I don't remember exactly when, so I may, I may have still been 14, but at that point, like I was such a jaded horror fiend that I was already sort of chasing the dragon on that. Like, Oh, will, will a movie actually scare me? Like we talked about this That's a lot. So cool. We, so tough. No, we talked about this a <laughs> lot. Uh, when we were talking about skin because yeah, that yeah. movie kind of got me pretty close to that headspace. But even at 14, it like it had been quite a while since a movie really, really, really frightened me. And so I was very, very happy when signs did it. but still, there are lots of unpleasantness. you know, I was 14, 15, like literally like sneaking into my mom's bedroom, like, can I sleep in here? Wow no. <laughs> like, you know, or like you know, fucking getting up in the morning and shaving and going to school. <laughs> <laughs> but man, uh, it was a magical movie theater experience because there was a lot of hype around this movie like, because Shyamalan was just at the peak, right? Like he at this point had done no wrong at all. The early, you know, word on the street about this movie was that he was kind of continuing this hot streak he had of being like a Hitchcockian master of suspense but with like this Spielbergy type of like sense of wonder and storytelling and like kind of science fiction joy. Uh, I had heard from a lot, you know. I'd read a lot of reviews saying that this movie was the real deal as far as like being frightening. So I was like very hyped about it. And the movie theater I went to was full, full house. Like, it was like that Friday night, you know. And where I grew up, very agricultural, just lots, just farmland. And so I, I think it kind of hit close to home in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, the, the the theater audience was was electrifying. Like people screaming, fucking gasping, like. Uh, a lady behind me, during one of the scariest parts, like either squeezed or dropped her like large Pepsi. Oh no! And it and it fell, and I like it like cast. You know, it was a very raked audience, so it like cascaded like by my shoes, <laughs> and I had like sticky shoes about it because the lady got so scared. And uh, yeah, I, I I was obsessed with it, and um, saw it a few more times in the theater, so it would stop scaring me so bad. And, uh, you know, I've seen it here and there. I've had the opposite issue of it where, like, now I don't want it to be totally demystified. Now I realize, you know, now that I'm an adult and, like, everything is demystified for me, I don't want to watch this movie so much that uh, it becomes just uh, another movie. Like, I want this movie to still hold that sort of legendary status with me. Mm -hmm. And doing this deep dive, like, the past couple weeks... Watching it a couple t- couple times, reading the screenplay, watching all of the like Blu-ray special features and the deleted scenes and everything, I was like, "Oh man, am I gonna like this movie?" less? and uh, it turns out, no, no, I still I still fucking love oh, this movie. You love
1: that? That's great. Yeah. What is your previous relationship with Signs? So kind of similar. Is that it scared the ever loving shit out of me, but I had the opposite response to you, where it was I think it was thrown on like family movie night, which is already really weird. I should ask my parents why um because we weren't horror movie people at all period oh. so i don't know why that got thrown on maybe like you were saying like the signs was getting a lot of hype at the time it was like the movie to see so perhaps they grabbed that like i remember i was not a blockbuster kid we were a hollywood video family ah uh, yeah i wonder uh, if they were expecting
0: it to be like another close encounters or et or something I mean, yeah, rated pg-13 I, I think,
1: yeah. uh yeah 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 um but anyways, I, I remember seeing a little bit of it in just pretty much first like scary sequence. I was so out. I was like, nope, no, 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 no. Um, so I didn't watch it. I had no desire to finish the movie or go back to it. And really, for the most part, I didn't engage with horror for another about 10 years. And that probably was <laughs> that was one of the movies that probably was like, no, okay, this is not something I'm interested in. So where where it got you coming back for more and more and more, it was like, mm, no, I'm, I don't want this. But uh, funnily enough, because uh, so this was my first time watching. I watched it like uh, 10 days ago for this. And then I, I watched it again today. But 10 days ago was the first time I watched it. And really, my only uh, direct experience with it is I owned the DVD Scary Movie 3. And so I've seen <laughs> Scary Movie 3 so, so many times. So when I say that uh science didn't quite terrify me this time, I think you can understand why because I'm just like, "Oh, haha, ha, it's like in scary movie three <laughs> right that'll that'll ruin it, yeah
0: <laughs> wait, you're saying saying my wife is just about split in half. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking can I, of. can I still talk to the top half? Yeah, of course you
1: can. Can I get a few minutes in with the bottom half? <laughs> Or the, uh, this, uh, this footage may disturb you. This is very shocking. And I just, I just thought of that scene with them. Like it's like the president and the aliens are like having a barbecue and he's like pissing out of his fingers and stuff. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Or, um, I, I like, uh,
0: seven days. You're going to die in seven days. Like, like seven business days or, (laughs) but it's a bank holiday. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we we should maybe just do uh like scary movies 1 2 and 3 all in one episode and spend the entire time just quoting them. <laughs> um actually uh today uh we'll date this again this way but Emmy nominations came out oh, yeah. and and of course uh you know Craig Craig Mazin is nominated for, you know, all sorts of stuff for The Last of Us, also wrote Scary Movie 3. <laughs> what a career. What an absolute fucking legend he already is. He does it all. Yep. All right. So not not the scariest movie of all time for Dan, but uh, other than that, like, what's your kind of overall? What's your overall take? And actually, before we get into likes and dislikes, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to without uh Mm. mentioning Mel Gibson a few times. And uh, so I just want to put a short disclaimer here: is uh, I have absolute disdain for some of the views that he's shared you know that are you know obviously people know about and they've kind of dogged the latter half of his career from some of the like just anti-semitic just dog shit that has come out of his mouth I'm not a conservative person he is so I like disagree with a lot of the things that he said but like some of the things that he said are uh, pretty inexcusable yeah huge bridge too far it's putting it lightly and uh, (laughs) honestly like fuck him for for all of that and I want to make that pretty clear before I, you know, actually praise his work in a moment here. I guess before we get into that, what, what's your what's your overall take on your ability to like separate the art from the artist? Do you have a like a, a dogma that you sort of follow or like a,
1: a pattern in your, your your line of thought on that? Yeah, my general attitude about it is if the like, OK, let's take Mel Gibson, for example. If so, his main thing that I do not like about Mel Gibson is his views on Jews, not the best views on Jews I've ever heard. And if he's in something, and it has nothing to do with any of his like gross or nasty views, or or it's, it's like not woven in the character. Like a good example is, um, actually, there's a better example. Like Kevin Spacey can't watch American Beauty anymore, but mm. I could watch like um uh, the Usual Suspects. Right. Yeah. Um. So if it's like if what's disgusting about the person is like you can kind of see that aspect of them being highlighted in the in the, the the film itself then it's like hmm or like like uh that's why woody uh like woody allen period done like no, all of nothing. all of his movies right. he's sort it's of all, like, sort of a sort of an old lech in all of them yeah like if woody allen made i don't know if he made like am like a batman movie then sure i guess whatever wow, um, that would be fucking awful terrible um but yeah, that's that's kind of my my personal line, and and in general, it's like whatever anyone wants to make their line is totally fine. I respect it. Um, that's usually the one when it comes to quote unquote separating the art for the artist, because we, we all know no one purely can separate it. So you you just kind of have to navigate that yourself. And I find that's generally the uh, the aspect when it's like mm, I can't I can't get play ball with this. So like like Rosemary's Baby, I can watch that. That's fine. I'm not
0: familiar enough with Polanski's work to know which ones of his movies I would stay away from, but mm. Rosemary's Baby is that's a good, that's a good movie.
1: But then well, that, it's a whole other conversation. Anyways, uh, what's your uh, art from the artist kind of? Uh, um, I think line. it
0: depends on what they did. Like similarly, similarly to you, I think with like Kevin Spacey, where like he was he's literally like raping young men. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I think even like the the usual suspects would feel a little f- fucking wrong to me watching it. Like American Beauty, I could see your point. Like that, that's even worse because he is like sort of like a, he's a sexual predator of young people in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like you know really good example. It, it's tough. <laughs> I, I guess this is gonna sound really bad, but also like I think it depends on the quality of their art as well. Like, there's a there's like a. Uh, a push and pull between like how bad the thing they did was and how how well, wonderful and, of an artist they are and you know some people there's equilibrium there and wait with kevin spacey i, I just never thought he was a good enough actor to
1: like so he's easy like, to discard for, yeah that's what i was yeah. about to say like uh like with mel gibson i never really cared for his movies all that much anyways and when i heard he's a piece of shit i was like all right okay well fine
0: I'm not um, gonna watch this shit then. i love mad max um, I think that the movies he's directed are very good. Like The Passion of the Christ is, I think, is a really, really good movie.
1: Are you ready for he's, the sequel? That is actually going to happen.
0: <laughs> God, uh, I, I, I'm not ready. This time, I don't know if I would have. any in it, and he means um, business. Apocalypto, Hacksaw Ridge. I think those are all good movies. Oh, see, I think apart. they're trash, and it's because it's from Mel Gibson. Some of his 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 acting work, like in you know, like like I said, Mad Max those are pretty legendary um and i think he's really good in this movie
1: no he is he's definitely and i hate to say it
0: pretty hot a lot of yeah. dilf energy coming over oh, there oh man and he's available <laughs> he's fresh back on the scene in this film
1: <laughs> i was wondering if the uh i forget her name the uh the oh shoot what's the actress's name that played the cop cherry jones yeah there was yeah, some yeah. sexual tension there like yeah there was a little sure. bit she's kind of she's kind of into hot priest the yeah, original she, hot priest
0: yeah and here's here's where the trivia begins is that and this is going to be like a running theme on some of my praise for this movie is that and that is m night Shyamalan's willingness to deviate from his original vision like in the in the moment to uh enhance the movie or make it better. The, the screenplay is very different from the Ooh. final final product. And in one of the ways is that, um, the police officer is a man in the script. Oh, and, uh, he, he said like when he was casting it, he just, uh, you know, he realized kind of early on, like it doesn't really matter if this person's a man. And actually there, there probably should be more women in this movie. And, you know, he just set up auditions for men and women and Sherry Jones just fucking crushed it. So there isn't a lot of sexual tension between the cop and the reverend, former reverend in the script, but I think it's pretty palpable in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope she's still alive at the end of the movie. We don't really know for sure, but uh, I could, I could see that being a thing. They'd be pretty cute together. They'd be cute. It'd be sweet. Yeah. Even calling yeah. it sexual attention kind of makes it a little more, uh... no, it seems like they just want to make hot cocoa together and read the Bible, you know, like, <laughs>
1: yeah, that, I don't know. Like,
0: Maybe go uh you know pick some corn out in the field together. yeah, I don't know. I think that cornfield might be maybe a, a point of trauma for for Graham Hess at the end of this but um, <laughs> but I'll let you go first because you know I'm just gonna gush about this movie what are what are your overall thoughts like what are a couple of the things that you like the best? what are some of the things that
1: didn't work as well for you? I enjoy I really enjoyed about probably by the end of Act two, I realized like this movie isn't really about the aliens all that yeah. much. Um, like the aliens are there to set a catalyst for what's a, ostensibly a family story. And the family story is really good. I think we'll talk about this later too, where it's like, it's also really funny. Like I didn't, yeah, I kept, I kept it's, coming in to this movie expecting what everyone's saying. is like, this is the scariest shit you ever seen in your life. Like you're about to get fucking rocked. And it's like they were just kind of—they all had like these strong, interesting personalities, and the way they played off each other, like, in in like with real families, there were just kind of little aside quips that they would all make that, like, yeah. you could tell, like, if you were a family, you would all understand that joke or yep. that that uh, little tick or something like that. Um And and then like like the water, for instance, the way that Mel Gibson's uh, character handles that—it's just like, yeah, I mean, she, she she's She just doesn't like that water. Yeah, I love the moment where he's going around. He's picking up all the glasses.
0: And there's like a this like just a visual joke. And it's in the script. And it's captured really well in the camera. uh, where he's like, he like his hands are full. He's like carrying like five glasses. And then he looks over. He goes out of focus. The camera goes into focus to reveal in the foreground. There's more glasses mm-hmm. right there, and then mm-hmm. he goes back into view, and he literally just puts down the glasses that he was already <laughs> holding, just defeated, and goes back to whatever else he was doing at the time. That's in the script, like verbatim, like beat by beat, exactly mm-hmm. how to how to shoot it and why it's funny and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's captured really well in the movie. But you know, this the script is funny. Like, there's a lot. There are jokes in the script that are funny on paper. There's a lot of dialogue in the script that is not funny on paper but as soon as you know joaquin phoenix (laughs) gets a hold of it it's fucking genius hilarious
1: right oh i did like that aspect too it's like joaquin phoenix and mel gibson were both playing against type like you would Mm. almost think they should have swapped and been each other well i mean if, if joaquin phoenix was just older than mel gibson like you have soft sweet mel gibson in like badass, like hard motherfucker, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I'm like, this is so funny. Like don't uh, see maybe at the time, Joaquin Phoenix was like kind of not slotted as sort of more of a, you know, a gentle soul. Although he played, uh, well, you were never really there. That was really good. And he could pull that off. But yeah. really by now, like that would be such a weird way to cast him would be that role. So like just seeing them kind of playing against how I perceived them on screen was a lot of fun as well. Because he's just like so goofy in this. Uh Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Well, he's just like trying to like he like his character is not really succeeding, but he's like putting up this like tough guy front. Right, right, um, right. You know, the first scene where they're running out or that scene where they're running out to confront what it winds up they're being going. Kick the first your ass, time. bitch. Yeah, we're and then yeah, Mel Gibson of all people, is like, oh, I can't I can't swear. It's yeah. weird. He's like, Oh, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so, so funny. Uh yeah, but,
0: you know, at the, at this time Really, I mean, he'd like, obviously he'd grown up famous, right? Like at first in the shadow of his brother and then then not. And uh, but like really like his big role as an like breakout role as an adult was gladiator. Right. Where he was terrifying and was either nominated or won the Academy Award for. I think I don't I don't what's did he win? Mm-hmm. I need to look that up because it's going to bother me. But like I, re- I recall thinking like, oh, that like scary dude from gladiator is in this movie and then watching it. And he's like the goofy uncle. But now, now I perceive him as so just like,
1: he's like an um, eclectic bohemian artsy boy.
0: Yeah. Who's just, he's, he's inaccessible. Right. Right. Like, you don't, you don't know what he's thinking or, and, but in, in this movie, he's like, so like hard on his sleeve, what wants to be there for his niece and nephew. Just, yeah. Just like weird, cool uncle trying to act tough for, you know his brother's sake cuz his brother's vulnerable right now. Right. Yeah, I think I think the the acting's great. I mean, both of the kids just kick ass. Like obviously both of them continue to be wonderful actors. And Shyamalan. he's he's good in this movie. Yeah, he's good in it. I don't I don't always think he's great in his cameos and he's, you know, he does a lot of cameos in his own movies, but man, he's like he really crushes that that scene where he's in the truck. Mhm. And um, actually, that's one of my favorite, probably my favorite part of the whole movie, if I'm just going to throw out a thing I like, is the way it's written and the way it's shot, the way it's edited, the amount of just tension and dread that goes on (laughs) in the scene where he visits Ray Reddy's house. They finally have that, that moment together where he apologizes and he kind of explains what happens. Then he's just like, I trapped one in my pantry. It's in there right now and speeds away. And then we, we cut to the really, really, really iconic scene of, you know, the Brazilian birthday party. The Scariest part of the movie happens. And then we smash back to, to Graham going to confront the thing in the pantry after we finally have just been like rocked by like seeing it like that. And it's just like the way that that, that those, you know, just the dread of those two scenarios compound
1: each other is just fucking candy to me. Yeah, it's like I was even thinking that too. Like just the way the uh, when you get closer and closer to him, like finally chopping the, the alien's fingers off, just even the way the cuts all of a sudden just start picking up way mm-hmm. faster. And by the time he actually does it, was like ah. And I yeah. almost it took me a sec, and I don't know if it was deliberate. I'm like, wait, whose hand was that? Oh, right, right. And then
0: because and then they both scream, so it's like yeah, who's yeah, screaming yeah. starts when and man, he. Shyamalan really does the Hitchcockian playing the tension like an instrument in that scene. Because I love how how Gibson like he's like, you know, they all the you know, all the sound goes away. He has the knife. He's like looking in the reflection. He like doesn't see anything. We're expecting it to jump out at any moment. Finally, he gives up. He's about to leave. And the whole thing has been so slow that all of a sudden he's he's booking it back to look one more time. And that's when it pops out.
1: Mm, mm. Good stuff, very good Uh, stuff Amazing (laughs) So yeah, I wanted to, before we uh, really dive into uh, Shyamalan and like how he managed the tone Something I noticed when I was watching it is, I would say he I'm I'm going to say this as a compliment um, but it's going to sound bad at first He doesn't bring anything new to the alien genre Instead what he does is he plays on a lot of I would say most mid-century alien sci-fi tropes Um, where i was even asking myself when you saw the uh the tinfoil hat people and like you always know the oh tinfoil hat theory where i'm like did that come from science Uh, and i always thought it did but it didn't it's from like the 20s or something like that yeah and then i'm thinking like all the imagery is like you know you have the classic ufos from like old hollywood like the alien design was pretty similar to to like how we think of when we think of like area 60 one 65 area 51 just 51 the, the, that's the what. grays yeah these like yeah, yeah. sort of humanoid lizard things um, yeah and then yeah when you first see the alien pop out the way he's walking like that reminds Big you of, like yeah the infamous Sasquatch shot like yeah he definitely and, and I think that plays into how I it says like this movie isn't about the aliens is he wisely decided it's like I'm going to play on uh, very well known tropes and very clear loaded images that we all know so that I don't have to spend time. Like, there's no explanation of what the aliens are, and you don't need it because it uses such strong imagery.
0: Yeah, I mean, the crop circles are, like, the, you know, obviously central to it, and obviously at this point, when the movie was made, people were already well familiar with crop circles equal potential extraterrestrials, right? Or actually, specifically, crop circles are a symbol of, like, people either having faith or not having faith that aliens exist. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like the perfect just example of like, some people see that and they see it as proof. Other people are like immediately bending over backwards to uh, dismiss it as a hoax, obvious, uh, obvious subtext there to the real themes of this movie uh, that just get, you know, brought home quite a bit in this movie. Like everything in this was just like, primed uh like you said to not have to waste time on kind of establishing mythos or anything like that um and at the time there was like a couple years before the movie like you know more crop circles were were popping up and that was a whole thing again you know that happened in the 70s and it happened again in the late 90s and i think we're just we're pretty easily dismissed as a hoax the second time around but damn it i want to
1: believe (laughs) i just don't I do love and I, this is something unique that I was going through like films I had seen with aliens that like it shifts from, you know, usually alien invasion stories, things like War of the Worlds or like uh, Day the Earth should still Independence Day where it's like this is like, like a global. global. Yeah, yeah, it's this big, global, massive, like battle kind of thing. And you're seeing everyone deal with it. But this this is such a it's such a small story. and it, it And then it kind of more turns into like an alien invasion, turns into a home invasion story. And, like, a lot of, especially by the time you get in the basement, it felt like Dawn of the Dead. Like, this became night a of, zombie. Or night of, night of the Living Dead. Or, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Um, where it became, like, a zombie story, too. Like, the I, the aliens, like, at least they serve the functions uh, of, like, moving the story along similar to how zombies do it.
0: 100%. And Shyamalan was really clear about that. I mean, even when he was speaking about the movie upon its release, where he was, like, you know, it was very, very inspired by Night of the Living Dead. Oh, cool. Like structurally for the movie and also uh The Birds. Oh, by Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. it, the, the Birds does a similar thing where at first we kind of see maybe like the broader implications of like the birds turning on us. <laughs> um by the end it's just like, you know, a, a family or a group of people in a house with the the birds on the outside like trying to get them. Um, he kind of used both those examples really liberally as he's discussing this movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, Night of the Living Dead definitely like is the big one. And also just in the fact that, um, yeah, it's a zombie movie. And that's, you know, that's what it's uh, what it is on its surface. And, you know, that's what it is. But similarly, is more just about the humanity than it is about the undead, you know? Right, right, right. The real zombies were us all along. Yeah. And I, I totally dig that. And, uh, I, I really like that just, yeah, just how little you see the alien, like that mm-hmm. works, that works as to not distract from the human story, but it also, um, just kind of serves the horror in a great way. Right. Like, you know, you don't want to see the monster like that, that ruins it. And, you know, by the end of this movie, you very much see the monster, but before like the big kind of climactic, scene that you know the aliens front and center for you see the ps2 character yeah yeah exactly uh you you see you know the alien or glimpses of the alien for like 10 seconds or less total in the first you know 90 minutes of the movie and man the first time you actually see it when she's like there's a monster outside my room can i have a glass of water Mm -hmm. and he's like why do you talk to mommy when she's not really there yeah Uh, does she ever answer back? No, she doesn't answer me either. It's like, he does this amazing thing where it's like, oh, he really lulls you into like buying into like the emotional, like rawness of what the characters are saying. And that's the moment. It's a fucking alien looking in the window right fucking now. (laughs) Look at it. Look at it, man. So good. So like, just Mm -hmm. like a beautiful jump scare. And uh, I will say that um, that movie signs has to this day ruined the idea of looking out of a window at night for me. <laughs> oh, really? It's got I that am bones. I'm unable
1: to look out a window at night without feeling oh. fear. Yeah. Like, now, next like, time right I'm ever hanging out at your place, I'm gonna be sure to just step out one time and just yeah. exist outside your windows. Oh, scary! <laughs> like right outside this window, um,
0: there's just a, a small like there's like maybe. 10, 15 feet between my house and the neighbor house. And like their roof is right here. Like I could totally just like look over and there's you know, a being standing on that roof, looking at me. <laughs> um, yeah. ruined me. Yeah. You alluded to this a moment ago and I really want to dig into it because I think it's a pretty miraculous feat and uh, Oh, miraculous. Oh no. This movie has like a remarkable amount of dread, but it's, also constantly really funny i don't know how they do it and it doesn't like neither one of them diminishes the other in my opinion no like like the dread doesn't make the funny less funny the funny doesn't make the dread
1: less dreadful you know Um, what it reminded me of because and i I think that that feels more real like when you're when you're in that really high stressed like kind of oppressive state like you know sometimes people just say funny shit like inadvertently and um Mm -hmm. Similarly in like tragedy and when just like everything's going wrong and like the you're in the worst throes of the darkest moments of your life, like Manchester by the sea is kind Mm -hmm. of really funny too, because like in these intense emotional moments, just like the very small slip ups and just like natural human foibles, like just become so much sillier in that moment.
0: Yeah, I I could see that, that. Is so true of real life, but I'm struggling to think of a, a more extreme example on film. Than Manchester by the Sea or something? No, than Signs, oh. where it's like these two competing tones
1: are like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, ...do not actually fuck with each other. And usually yeah. when they do, like when you think of hor- like comedy and horror, you're thinking of like tongue-in-cheek horror or like... Heck yeah, uh, broad comedy, splatter movies. Yeah, even like uh, Ari Aster movies can do it too. Um, oh.
0: Bo was afraid was pretty funny and pretty dreadful the whole time actually
1: yeah yeah actually that might be the closer one um well like Midsummer I think is a great example too or even but then I'm yeah I'm thinking like your pearls and your X's and your stuff like that um but yeah I'm trying to put my finger on like where the tone is different in signs because th- those the way the comedy is used in uh, you know Ari Aster movies and then what like the Ty West movies are more wink wink not like tongue in cheek where this plays a pretty straight like the like they feel like emotionally true moments that these characters would say these like kind of quirky silly things it, it just it doesn't stop the movie from being scary and like, no, I, don't, I don't i don't know if uh
0: there's any like secret sauce to it other than the maestro at work like Shyamalan's just a, a phenomenal director, and he, he knows how to write suspense, he knows how to execute it. And he just had a, I mean, he just had a cast that was great at riffing off each other and great, just great at uh, at, at making these words sing. I mean, I don't know if there's anything more to it. One thing that I will point out that, that I, like watching the movie now, it goes a surprisingly long way, is just the opening credits established mm. just the tone like really, really well and, uh, watching the behind the scenes features with, uh, with Shyamalan and, and James Newton Howard. Um, he had started composing the music prior to the movie being shot. Uh, Shyamalan gets really deep into hand drawing all of his own storyboards. Mm-hmm. And so he had, provided james newton howard with those and there's a little bit of test footage to try to like kind of get the juices flowing and so there was the movie was being scored prior to it being filmed which is you know, pretty unusual you we are talking about it how m night was like he's like i need for you to like make sure that people know this movie is 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 frightening before the movie starts oh and uh so obviously like the the main theme that recurs and goes over the main credits in like a really bombastic fashion is kind of an earworm and kind of harkens back to like classic horror, just like the really shrill staccato strings and like right. big farty horns just like shaking you and like the credits just start without, you know, there's no there's no opening stinger or like cold open, like the credits just start and they're very stark and like classic looking, like kind of they kind of look like 40s Hollywood or something. And it just lets the music just get you, and uh, for me, like yeah, that music still kind of rattles me, <laughs> and I I actually noticed the exact same thing in Knock at the Cabin. Knock in the Cabin just starts with opening credits and a really
1: really aggressive like scary opening theme. I didn't think about that. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, there's one thing that uh, you can never call uh, Shyamalan. It's a subtle man. He. Whereas all of what he's trying to do directly out on his sleeves. Yeah. Which, and actually, that's another thing that I like about this movie that
0: sort of surprises me is, uh, Graham Hess, you know, the main, main character played by Mel Gibson. He's going through big things, right? Like the death of his wife, the loss of his faith. But like all of his beats, all of his emotional beats, like the way that they handle his grief, the way that, um, they handle his ability to be a good father in the middle of
1: all of this is quite nuanced. No, I totally agree. Especially down to the, um, you feel all the payoff in that dinner scene too. Oh yeah. When he's, when he does,
0: he does one of the, like one of the things that you don't do as an actor is actually eat while, while, uh, doing the emotional scene. And he just, he just does it. He commits to it. Just fucking <laughs> crams the food in his face and cries. It's just, he just lets himself be ugly even though he's still pretty sexy in that scene, even. But then
1: even there was slight comedy where they pull Joaquin Phoenix in. Yeah. Like, Come just, on, get
0: it in here. Yeah, man. How heartwarming is that?
1: Yeah, that might be it. This is a, a very weird Venn diagram of a heartwarming
0: horror. It is, yeah. I mean, the, obviously they, they never lose sight of the emotional center of this family loving each other. One thing I'll point out about um, how they made kind of his emotional life more nuanced is in the script there are several scenes where he's talking out loud with his wife and he's sort of acting like she's answering back. And then he keeps, he keeps talking and, uh, every time it happens in the script, it kind of like fucks up the, the mood. And, uh, like he does it during the really scary scene where he's out in the crops at night with his flashlight and he's looking for the dog and everything he's talking to his dead wife during that scene in the screenplay. Mm. And it just does not work. So I really admire that Shyamalan on the day or like when they actually got to production, he was like, "Ooh, this doesn't work. Let's not do that. And they just boil that down to like, you don't really see him or hear him ever doing that. It's just the daughter asks him about it once Yeah, have like that one moment and then it never gets brought up again. Because that's all you need now that the emotional beats there. You got the information. Yeah. I'll just point out a, a couple more of my favorite little subtle character things or just good good writing or, or uh, good direction. Um, there is a wonderful thing that I didn't notice as a kid, uh, but notice now is that right at the beginning when the, their dog is sick, and it's like, oh, you know, he peed. I think he's sick. Graham is like, oh, yeah, we'll take him to, you know, Dr. So-and-so. And then Morgan, the son, is like, He doesn't see animals. What are you talking about? And then we don't. And then they don't bring it up at all. I don't speak it out loud ever. It's just there's one like two second long establishing shot of Ray Reddy's house where you see it says Ray Reddy veterinarian. Mm. And like you just you don't know at the beginning of the movie why that little piece of dialogue is there of like he's not an animal doctor. Then you find out just very subtly at one point that oh it's because the veterinarian is the one that killed their mom. Like oh yeah I didn't pick up on that. That's it's cool. uh yeah it's it's so good. Another thing that uh is in the script and I didn't notice it. I never noticed it once watching the movie, but then I read the script and then I watched the movie again and I was like, oh wow, that's obvious now that I know it's there is uh there's a couple of establishing shots of the house where the crickets are like really, really intense and then all of a sudden they just stop like very unnaturally it's just mm. like chirp 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 chirp. huh no like, yeah i didn't touch that like they all just got scared of something or like it's basically it's you know it's just like a subconscious thing like really like i mean i'm sure it goes quite a long way of creating more of that unease i it just never entered my conscious thought once yeah, after I've, seeing the movie I, like seven or eight
1: times i think i've read somewhere about that like phenomenon where people will be like creeped out places and they don't know why and that's one of the reasons where it's like, if you don't hear animal noises, that usually means there's a predator nearby.
0: Yeah, so exactly. Like,
1: yeah, like ambient like yeah, crickets or cicadas or whatever like that. If they're all quiet, that means they're all on high alert because there's something to be alert about. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I mean, they, they talk about like all the dogs in the county are acting like there's predators around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the crickets, just one little th- extra thing in that regard. Um, and then another one that they was for the life of me, I cannot at all understand why he chose to cut it. But when the family is leaving the house to go into town for their little date in town, mm. there is just like a th- two or three second shot of a dead bird with its head crushed in on the ground as they're as like they're on a like dirt road leading to town. And uh, I have no idea why they cut it. It only takes three seconds and it kicks ass because later you find out that the, you know, the birds are dying from flying into the invisible ships. (laughs) And I don't understand why he would have cut that. Like, it's only a couple seconds and it's just a cool little like Easter egg for anyone who's, you know, eagle eyed.
1: It's just one more little brick that you can throw on the dread.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think maybe it just didn't feel right. For, like, the tone, like, just, oh booger, booger, close up of a dead animal. And, like, if yeah. you don't, if you're not really connecting the dots and paying attention really closely,
1: hey, you'll well, never know why. We do got to address the uh M. Night Shyamalan was not afraid of dead animals in this movie. We got oh, wow. two puppy two, casualties. Two dead dogs in this.
0: Does the dog <laughs> die? Yes, twice. <laughs> over and over. Oh, man. Yeah. I guess that's another thing that goes a long way. Dead dogs are, (laughs) I mean, and one, I mean, a small child stabs his own
1: dog in the neck with a barbecue fork. That should be like the the climactic moment of most movies. And he's just thrown that away like within the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I do want to point out another one.
0: I'll get to the end of the trivia here in a second. (laughs) I just, I, I, you know, this is my moment to talk about fucking signs this is why they, we have a podcast they began shooting this movie on september 12 2001 oops yep and uh they re- it was released in august of, of 2002 and yeah you can you can feel the like the walls are closing in the world's ending vibes from the cast in this movie And there's a few things that are, again, not in the script, but are in the movie because it was written before 9-11 and it was shot after 9-11. My favorite one that I feel lucky to understand without it being like some abstract concept in the script, after the first kind of scary scene at night, they're talking to the cop, you know, female Scandinavian Olympian, whatever, and they're all just sitting around their living room. And then they all just start to notice the crop signs on the tv right Mm. and it's like you know it's nothing special in the movie they're all chatting in like the dining room or the kitchen and then Bo comes in and she's like you know i can't find the remote and they're like you know they're like waving her away it's like oh it's fine just go like change the channel on the tv and then she comes back she's like i can't find the remote we'll just change the channel on the tv she's like the same things on every channel and how fucking terrifying that is like, if you, you know, were alive to know that if something like, was on the same channel and it was a fucking earth shattering event. Yeah,
1: some something terrible happened if
0: right. like, every single station playing the same thing. And 9 11 is that thing, right? No. And I, I 1000% know that that is what inspired that line, which I think is one of the scariest lines
1: of dialogue in the whole movie. Yeah, that one's very, very good. Um, And yeah, that, that's what I, I was thinking that as, especially as a movie war on. I got more of that sense of like this definitely was or it's shot in the way that's either purposely or subconsciously or whatever, um, like in the wake of 9-11. Because like there's a lot of time spending in front of TV, like just watching disasters, watching horrible things happen, Um, like even yeah, like the the alien sighting uh, thing where they're showing it like it kind of reminded me of like video footage of the Middle East that we all grew up with that was on the news all the time or like random terror attack or terrorist attacks that would be happening and it would get, you know, it would be played on every single news station that you'd be seeing all the time. And, and like, and everyone, you started hearing like all these theories popping out about like nine 11 theories and like uh, conspiracy theories and those are starting to get drummed up and like no one knows what's going on, but all we all collectively have is essentially network TV to try to get information and make sense of something that we ultimately are incapable of understanding.
0: Yeah. This movie really, I don't think would play well, like in the age of streaming, like just there's just there's this whole collectivism Mm-hmm. That just doesn't exist anymore, right? It's not like the same things on every channel just doesn't exist anymore. There's
1: a monoculture or like a single source of information
0: yeah. that everyone's feeding from. And this movie, like just the the fact that like this macrocosm of you know an alien invasion invasion of that's you know might be the end of the world getting reduced down to the microcosm of a family, that 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 is like a symptom of that collectivism, right? Or like mm-hmm. it's p- made possible because we understand that everyone is on the same wavelength and getting the same
1: information and thinking the same way. And then I did think there's something, it was a little, uh, I don't know, we can give it the 2023 uh, little yikesy uh, comment that got put at the end. That was definitely very much a uh, product of its time where if you heard, it was like a throwaway line towards the end of like how they were figuring out how like that the aliens were essentially allergic to water where it's like, Oh yeah, like essentially guerrilla forces in the Middle East using primitive tactics to take out the the aliens, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I, I can't think of any real world equivalent of that going on, but like saying <laughs> like, but just like compliance like, oh yeah, they're like well, using the word primitive. There felt a little like, hmm, interesting. Where it's like, well, I mean, that sort of that that
0: language is definitely everywhere at that moment of time.
1: Oh yeah, 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 and that's what I'm saying. It's a reflection of like uh you know our attitudes going into the middle east where it's like oh they're going to be fighting us with like slingshots and like camels or something uh while we got you know uh highly mechanized weapons of warfare where it's like it was not that it wasn't the case they <laughs> they were ready to go and uh we didn't do so well in there i'm wondering if that's any sort of
0: conscious commentary on the part of m night like if uh like if that was if, if that's just included because like that was, you know, the language that was being used right or on, if on network news it. or cable news at the
1: time. Yeah. Or what? I'm sorry. Or if it's M night like consciously commenting on it, it's like, oh, this is how they would speak about it. And like he's also in on the he's he's knowing that like, oh, they would call it primitive. Yeah. I mean, I mean,
0: if, if we're assuming it's like a like a like local news, like kind of network network affiliate in you know out of philadelphia in the summer of 2002 yeah they're probably not gonna speak
1: super fondly of the middle (laughs) eastern folk because i think what ties into that too which at least got my wheels turning that way and speaking of this in like a you know a movie made in 2002 context where when they were reading like the the alien handbook um which i thought that was a little hammy that we have like a an alien encyclopedia but um basically where it reads very similar to me of like the way that you would if you got a handbook i don't know in like the age of colonialism about how to deal with indigenous people where it's like they're either there's only two things that if someone or if someone if you encounter someone they're either going to try and fight you or they're going to be there in the the great glory of exploration it's like completely an imperial mindset where it's like Well, what if the aliens are like refugees or what if the aliens want to live with you as well? Or like the idea that the aliens are either conquerors or great explorers. um, It it was very much a reflection of like, oh yeah, this is definitely like a Western author that wrote this alien. He couldn't couldn't conceive of any other reason why you would want to go to the stars. I mean, uh, an Indian
0: born guy in kind of the English speaking world might, have
1: uh, a particular way of thinking of colonialism. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that like, and we, we can get into it a little later about like the idea of, you know, why have we never contacted aliens? But when when they were like reading through the book it was just very clear that it's like they were essentially just taking the idea of like when human civilizations ran into each other and just blowing that up into aliens where it's like we don't, yeah, it, we had, and the book seems yeah. so confident, it's like, listen fellas this is how aliens are, okay? I'm gonna tell right. you. Cause, cause I know, and it's like, no, you're just kind of like talking about what if, what if people were the space invaders? Yeah, so it's sort of this like form of chauvinism that, like, I've, of course you, we've never seen before.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it was Carl Sagan that, like, really, like, actually wrote about pointing that out. That, like, almost all of the popular theories of why we haven't been contacted by aliens are super flawed because they're it's you're just you know, thinking
1: of it, uh, in human terms. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's assuming that they all think and behave and have the same desires as us. Right. And But, but there are, you know,
0: outside of that, in theory, any sort of, you know, civilization is going to need to have some sort of matter to convert into energy. And it, and it is, you know, th- theoretically finite. And if they theoretically have a survival instinct, they will go and seek it out elsewhere. Right, yeah, yeah I, I I guess that's still just human reckoning, <laughs> but um you know there's there's two sides to that argument that I see. I really like how how conditioned that the aliens in this movie are in mm-hmm. like they're like someone in the movie posits that they're there to harvest human beings because they, they're dragging them back to their ships and that they're not they're obviously not here for the planet because this planet is very hostile to them like you know just, yeah, it's bio- a water bio- planet. biologically so these aliens are like absolutely desperate for like biomass mm-hmm. like to like fuel and like they're there and like, oh, all it's like the- we're like
1: we're the bottom of the barrel that
0: they were screaming. like they, no like this just we this is the planet that they like happen to get to that actually has a shitload of biomass on it and like fuck like the planet itself harms us but they still have to try because, like, they're clearly desperate, right? <laughs> like, every time you see one of the aliens, it's like f- wigging out and, like, like, yeah, uh, they've never really seem chill. No, they're like f- terrified <laughs> and, like, <laughs> kind of clumsy. Yeah. when we just beat their ass in a night. <laughs> you be- be- be with be- bat. Yeah. Like, I always thought that was so, like, that's actually one of the things that is. Kind of flies in the face of all of the like classical alien tropes is like common sense might dictate that if the aliens are advanced enough to actually travel intergalactically that they're they could probably just destroy us in a fight.
1: But but these aliens are higher
0: beings, but these aliens are just completely in over their head encountering Earth and
1: humanity. Which that would probably be what it's like when, like, if we ever first landed on another planet with other beings, we'd be like, oh, hey, uh, oh, like, what we? the fuck is going on? <laughs> like,
0: yeah. So it always bugged the shit out of me that, like, people are like, oh, it's so dumb. Like, why would they be on Earth? Like, if it's a water planet, it's like, well, clearly they don't have another option here. And, like, it does just, like, fuck them
1: up. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'd be like, you know, if we start, you know, when we drill every ounce of oil out of the planet, when we're going for the last vestiges of places that are so inhospitable to us, it's like, but we, why would you go up there? That's so stupid. It's like, but we, but we need the oil. We need it. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a question.
0: Hmm. So you know, we're talking about, you know, the post 9-11 sentiments that are in this movie. You know, this is a movie about a Christian man regaining his Christian faith. Is Signs a fundamentally conservative
1: movie? There's pieces of it there. Like you see the, the the brother is interested in joining the army. Yeah, you see a man regaining his his face or regaining his faith by essentially obliterating some foreign other. Um yeah, yeah you see like you're seeing this fear of some unknown force that can be anywhere at any time. Uh, just like how we thought, like, when we were fighting the global war on terror, it's like we don't know where they are, they can pop up whenever. Um, they and they're yeah, and they're they, but they're specifically gonna attack you, middle America, in your farms. You should be the ones afraid. Um, I mean, now <laughs> I do, do I think like it's deliberately that way or built that way to like feed into that narrative or stoke like jingoism or anything? No, of course not. I think that's that that's a bit too reductive. Um <sighs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess like overall, it does have a fairly conservative message, or at least like a like very uh, toes the party line kind of message. Like, there's nothing really subversive about this story, and it's not interested in being subversive because um, it's also told totally from the perspective of human beings. Because, like, like, what you are saying right there, like you were you're running a little defense for why the aliens were out there. Like, that who knows what conditions cause the aliens to be so desperate that they're going to go to a planet full of poison and try and pick up some biomass like maybe they had good reason i don't know i we don't know their side of the story so i think by making it only the side of like you know the good old yankee doodle dandies uh fighting off the foreign invaders like it makes it skew that way i mean i I just don't see like your like maga uncle really saying like oh oh yeah this is my fucking movie dude yeah
0: i kind of i feel that like any any sort of conservative messages are not not the the main ingredient of the film. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's operating on a, on a different level than that. One thing that made me roll my eyes in the behind the scenes footage is the, uh, the, he was either the, like, like a production designer or um, he might've just been a set dresser or something like that, but they built that house. Oh, sweet. Um, like that wasn't just a house that existed before they um, essentially wanted to build like the most, just like iconic like victorian farmhouse mm-hmm. um and the f- movie was shot uh, at a farm that was basically like the ag department of a, like a state school a pennsylvania state school and like uh the you know the, the ag department of the university like kind of helped them like grow the grow the corn the right way and like all that sort of thing and like they built the house and the set dresser was like disc- like was was like very proud of how like he had made the house uh, he had painted the house in like really subtle shades of red, white, and blue <laughs> because it's like, you know, and I was like, wow, that kind of like sends a conservative message that like, oh, this, this um, this, uh, like, you know, this symbol of America is getting invaded
1: by aliens. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and once again, it could just be like, oh, we're in like quintessential breadbasket America. So maybe he just wants to zhuzh it up a little more, yeah. um, corn. Not- very, another American symbol. But it's yeah, it's once again like you know these are all things that people are kind of doing unconsciously, and it kind of all adds up to a sort of uh, milieu of sorts. What was I going to say about the? And really, anytime you see Mel Gibson in a film, you're immediately going to think, hmm, okay, all right, there's going to be a message here. Sure, yeah, I'm sure part of him, you know,
0: he read the sign, you read the the script, it's like, oh yeah, I definitely want to you know play (laughs) play a Christian character. Like I can totally see that. This is going to come out of. Left field. Oh but, no. Uh, how authentically does this movie talk about minor league baseball, and <laughs> Because so, even from my layman's perspective, it seems like uh
1: not not authentic. There's one thing right off the bat. Oh no. Right off the bat. There's one left thing field. uh early in the film that got me rolling my eyes where um I think it was when they revealed that he was a baseball player. It's like, oh man, you you hit that 570. Uh, country miles and what he like set the record for hitting at 570 first off i a 570 feet is uh inhuman or then i looked it up like the record is a legend of babe ruth hitting at 600 uh, feet like you don't hit 570 foot home runs yeah the uh, it, the the longest
0: verified that that i read was like 508 or something like that yeah like so the actual, I, the actual
1: major league record that's verified and like nowadays yeah i mean that and the longest home runs like records are being set recently so at the time of recording it was definitely not that and even if it wasn't you if you hit a ball that far once you're not a minor league player and there are there are players especially in that era that he was playing in um that it would be totally fine to have the strikeout record and the home run <laughs> record at the same time yeah. um yeah. the other bit that kind of annoyed me too was the way um know, yeah, and th- that's with anyone who's like you know very experienced in a certain area when they see an actor do the thing that they know how to do it it's like oh they're not quite doing it right and like for the most part the way he swung the bat looks like someone who knows how to swing a bat fine um but the fact that like his final blow he breaks the bat and like fine that's dramatic like it's good dramatic uh <laughs> Imagery, it's like uh if you break a bat in a baseball game, you didn't hit it right. Like that's bad. Like I like pitchers want to break bats because that's when you uh that's when the ball makes contact with the very weakest part of the bat, which is not what you're aiming for. So like if he would if he would have killed the alien with the weakest part of the bat and broke it, then sure, maybe, but like that's not what was going on there. Also, it was a little hammy that they had him wear a baseball tee the whole time. <laughs> I never even put that together.
0: <laughs> I was the way that they, yeah, the way that they talked about it. I, I knew you were gonna have some perspective on that, so I was like, I <laughs> watching it. I was like, oh, I can't wait to ask Dan it's, about
1: this. It's not super far fetched. Like when I was like, oh, like if you wouldn't just keep striking out, like you would have made it. And it's like, oh, I got, I always got to swing away. Like that's not unheard of. I knew people that, like, yeah, if they ever hit the ball, it went like five bazillion feet but they've just struck out over and over and yet you won't I mean you won't have much of a career but if if the, he's hitting the ball 570 feet someone would have given him a shot right but that is oh, that basically that is the mechanic right like
0: like you like as a hitter you're you kind of have like your your power lever and your accuracy lever and you're usually sacrificing one for the other is that is that like at least yeah, the that- mechanics
1: of hitting like with a lot of things like, you know, you can either go for speed or control or power or control and like, yeah, you can and, and hitters were literally they can change swings in the middle of that bat. And um, depending on the pitch or the the situation or what they think is coming, they can go for a bigger swing or a more defensive swing and things like that. And I mean, it just sounds like he had really, really bad coaches who just didn't who couldn't get it through his dumb head. It's like, hey, Try to, like, ease up a little bit. You already hit the ball so far. Like, you can still hit home runs and swing a little softer. But I yeah. like, thematically, where it's like, you know, I just always felt like I had to swing. Swing away. Swing away.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that actually reminds me of another thing that I like about this movie is uh, this movie is devoid of the Shyamalan twist. Yeah, like, no, there's like, a major it, one. Ha- it has a trail of breadcrumbs, and it has, like, checkoff guns that, like, you know, you your perception of them gets all realigned right at the
1: end, you know, just for now, you know to I make this say the ending was pretty dumb. It was pretty goofy. Well, it's silly for sure. Like it was almost like a Rube Goldberg machine. Just went off, like of the plot went off, and you see everything yeah. kind of like wackily come together. <laughs> yeah, and and they explain it to you out loud. Oh, when they do the flashbacks of like every piece, I'm like, this wasn't a long movie. Like I remember these. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. His lung, his lungs were closed. No poison got in, and he like says it out loud.
1: Even that, that one was, I was actually like, if that was the only explanation they made out loud, I was like, okay, that's, that's like nice. I, I probably would have needed that. But like when they do all the flashbacks of like swing away and like, oh, I love the water, the water's everywhere. And like they, they like go back to all these scenes to remind the viewer. I was like, I'm not that dumb. Come on. I remember. Yeah. They showed me like 800 water or glasses of water. I picked up on that guy. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the just, uh, Shyamalan's big ham
0: fist of his just just rears its head at the end of this movie. (laughs) It really does. Like for a movie that is mostly like pretty subdued and subtle and and clever, it does just like show its hand to way too great an extent at the very end.
1: Which, you know. He, he I um. I had fun all the way up until the last ten minutes. If he wants to get a little goofy at the end, go for it. It also doesn't help. Like, okay, well, when you saw it at the time, did the alien look bad? Because when you got uh, the feel of the alien, I'm like, I felt like I was like playing, I don't know, Tony Hawk Pro Skater or something with those graphics. Uh,
0: I don't remember. I, I do remember it not looking fantastic even at the time. Mm. I do remember thinking like. They really shouldn't have shown it as much as they did at the end. Well,
1: I thought they weren't showing it, because this is some M. Night Shyamalan's very good at, is like making a thrilling movie on a budget. Like that movie didn't have a lot of expensive shots to it until the yeah. alien shots. It was like a $40 million movie,
0: if I remember correctly. Yeah, like he, he um, keeps things real efficient. Admirably, he didn't use really much of any CGI at the beginning of the movie. Like he could have CGI the crop circles but he really created crop circles Mm -hmm. like on that farm in Philadelphia and in India like he really like that that, those are shots of India are India and crop circles that his crew made he went to Brazil with a handy cam and shot that scene himself without any like you know with like very limited other crew uh, in Brazil with those kids, like with just little, yeah, little like consumer level you know, camcorder. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, the the moment of truth, just full
1: CGI. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, wh- what can you do? Let him, let him try. Let him have his fun. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: it originally the alien was going to be completely invisible mm. and they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. Couldn't, like, couldn't it work. Couldn't make it work because, yeah, I mean, as little as you see the alien, all the scares require you to see the alien, yeah. really. <laughs> even if it is for just half a second. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I, I do agree. The last five minutes of the movie even takes it down, for me, from a 10 to like an eight and a half or a nine. Well, you, yeah, you've had a little bit of a, your your heart's a little sold by it. Yeah. Yeah. It hit me, hit me hard at the right time. I would say there, there's one or two other movies that have scared me as much. I couldn't say for sure more. And I don't, I don't really want to say what they are. Cause we're going to do, do an episode down the road. Um, well, I'll just say it, like paranormal activity is the other movie when I first saw it, the electricity in the movie theater, just like humans, just collectively being terrified together rattled me to such an extent that i was like scared for weeks after mm-hmm. and then more recently the haunting of hill house on netflix oh there's a couple episodes in that where i was feeling on edge afterwards
1: feeling real bad and then most recently Marine. yeah i've only seen of those three i've only seen skin marine because i purposely uh, i'm purposely shelving paranormal activities so i can watch it for the first time when we do that episode I should check out Haunting of Hill, now, Hill House. Enough people have said that it's good. Um, I'm trying to think of the ones that really got me. There's ones that's like a kid like Jumanji scared the shit out of me. <laughs> ugh. I'm trying to think of like recent examples. I remember, uh, oh, the wailing. That, uh, that really mm. got me. Um, the scene where he kind of confronts the, the demon. Ugh. Yeah. Terrifying. Um, yeah, Skinamarink, I just wanted it to be over. <laughs> it was a yeah,
0: yeah Skinamarink just actively just terrified me in the moment where,
1: yeah, I was relieved when it ended. Um, I'm trying to think hereditary definitely really got me the first time too. Cause um, their marketing was great. Cause I thought it was going to be a creepy kid movie. And then the kid dies. I'm like, I don't oh, know yeah. where we're going. But honestly, even bits of uh, when you first go in the basement in barbarian, I was like, no, 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 no. Mm. no. Cause it, I think it's when that happens when like, the movie just takes a hard left turn and I no longer have any kind of like grounding like, on to, what to expect going in there. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go in there. Very, very, very recently. Uh, Talk to me. Didn't uh, yeah.
0: didn't rattle me after the fact. I wasn't like scared at my house afterwards. But watching the movie, I was viscerally thrilled to a to a, a gigantic extent.
1: Oh, you know, it's a. a- a uh, random one that was like, it was just a fun throw ride. Have you seen, uh, I think it's called like as above, so below or so below it's something from, uh, it's in the Paris catacombs. Um, oh man. I wish I could remember the name of it now. It's called as above, so below oh, um, man, that one's fun.
0: I have not seen it and it's been recommended to me by many people whose opinion that I trust and respect. So that that's one that I missed. I, I don't remember why I think at the time when it came out a, I allude to this a lot, but I was just in the heat of just my college experience of acting in the theater and Mm -hmm. working and going to class. So like I wasn't seeing much. And I think maybe that the critical reception for it wasn't like so ecstatic that I felt like I had to see it. And so I just never did. And it's, and even when it first came out, I had friends being like, no, this movie is really good. And yeah, still have not seen it and I, I mean to yeah, these a,
1: days it's a great little thrill ride like it, it's so clearly set almost like the raid like it so clearly sets up its rules and how it's gonna work and there's like basically like levels within it and so every time you go you like you, you tell or oh what's the bong Jun ho movie with the train Snowpiercer. Oh, so yeah, it operates like those kinds of movies where it's like it's just so clearly structured. Every time you're gonna go like ratchet shit up and things are gonna get even more crazy every time. So every time they like enter a new phase, you're like oh fuck yeah. Okay, so it it has
0: does it have like an actual sort of narrative device that trains you to feel that way the way yeah. that Snowpiercer does?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's like, like different
0: levels of the catacombs. Yeah, or, you're going like
1: deeper and deeper into new rooms and the new area. Okay. That sounds cool. I it's love it when movies fun. do
0: that. Um should we should we do the thing? Should we talk about like whether or not we think that intelligent life is out there or not in uh, different yeah. parts of the universe?
1: Because there is. Yeah, to, there there ha,
0: there, ha, there has to
1: be right. It's statistically impossible that there isn't.
0: You know, unless you uh, buy into any of the many theories that you know explain the Fermi paradox.
1: Well, um, even the Fermi paradox allows that there's still like if, if there was an intelligent life now, there at least was, or at least we're not unique and the only form of intelligent life. Even if even if there's there are certain
0: theories that that posit that we're currently the only
1: uh for the kids at home what's the fermi paradox uh
0: yeah so it is the incompatibility of the vastness of the universe and the notion that we are the only intelligent life in it the data would dictate that it is as you said statistically impossible uh that we are it the only intelligent life in the universe and so the question, of course, becomes, why have we not encountered any more of it? It's named after uh, really the, the father of atomic energy, Enrico Fermi, who I'm sure will make an appearance in the new Christopher Nolan movie, Oppenheimer, and uh, he actually didn't have a particular interest in these conversations, but he did like famously have a, a conversation that was documented with a few other, you know, notable physicists in the forties where he basically asked that question. Like if the universe is so vast, why have we not seen any aliens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, so the Fermi paradox was given his name that even though the Fermi paradox is like not close to the thing that he's most noteworthy for
1: not father of nuclear physics. And he's known as the, but where are the aliens?
0: Yeah. He won the, he won the Nobel prize for creating the first <laughs> nuclear reactor. But, um, but where are the aliens thing is like what people know his name from, <laughs> um, because Neil deGrasse Tyson has like used it endlessly. What's, what's your favorite theory of why we have not encountered. I think it's one, terrestrials.
1: two, it's the big, um, filter, uh, that you know a it's already hard to get life off the ground but then it's the idea that like we're already encountering two potential ones right now as humanity if one is we have the ability to destroy ourselves we for the first time only what 80 years ago which is you know a sliver of time in uh humanity's history we have the power to actually nuke ourselves into extinction um and that that's considered like a civilizational filter where like you know, you let a civil you let a civilization of sentient beings live long enough with the ability to blow themselves up. A lot of times they will. Um, so far, we haven't, thankfully. Um, and then the other one is like climate collapse, climate disaster. That's another filter that, like, give it. Uh, let enough uh, civilizations advance far enough and use uh, up the resource on the planet enough, and they'll just run themselves dry. That's another filter. That's one that we're not doing so hot at right now as a filter. So. It's, it's the idea that, you know, so, like there's so many of these sort of quote unquote filters that pop up that and, and there could be an idea. Is there's one that's no one's gotten past yet. Um, and so maybe the ability to like travel to the stars and immediately communicate with other planets is beyond this filter that no one's gotten past yet. Um, I also like the one actually it's from the book, the, the Dark Forest that I just read. And it's called The Dark Forest Theory coined after this book. Where that's the key's the guy who made it. Um, where basically it's the idea that if you cannot communicate with you're you're a hunter in the dark or in the forest, in in a dark forest, and you encounter another hunter. Um, well now and you can't communicate with him at all. Like you both you both speak different languages, you're not even the same creature, you don't know how to verbally uh say anything to one another. Well, now it's kill or be killed. And you have to you have to think um You could hope that he's altruistic. Even if you're personally altruistic, um, you can't count on the other guy being altruistic. And that guy is thinking the same thing as you. So the only thing, the only rational choice to make is to immediately fire at them. Um, So if you take this idea and blow it up like planets, um, the only thing you should do when you encounter another uh, sentient life form is blow it the fuck up immediately because you can't give them a chance to do that first because you guys are never going to be able to communicate, especially when communication is like light years away and just saying anything is going to take, I don't know, like 10, 20, 50 years just to communicate. Um, and and the the worst thing that you can do is not beat them to the first punch and now your whole planet's nuked to shit. So it's in your best interest just to do it first. So the Dark Forest Theory pretty much posits that there are civilizations that are advanced enough to communicate with other planets they deliberately choose not to
0: i really subscribe to the idea that alien life is just way like just like the existence of it like the the way in which it exists like physiologically psychologically is just way way beyond the realm of human understanding
1: yeah, like what if they're like
0: six-dimensional beings? Like we're not gonna be able to sense them. Yeah, yeah. Like people, you know, will you know, will describe Earth as an anthill, and that anthill has no clue that there is a super highway, you know, a hundred yards away from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just couldn't possibly fathom, you know, like like we were saying earlier, life that isn't humanoid in a way. And uh, I mean, if it, you look at it, our religions, like we that we give them human traits. Yeah. Like, and we, we could be surrounded by other life and it's just beyond our reckoning. It's just incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like mathematics as we know, it just doesn't exist elsewhere in the universe or like all of our rules of mathematics can't be applied, or I guess it wouldn't be a filter, but like one of the, maybe one of the prerequisites for intergalactic space travel would be kind of reaching the singularity where, like they're not even organic anymore. They're just data that is being transferred from one place in the ether to another. And this, our technology would not have any way of interpreting it.
1: Yeah. It's like the idea. I think uh, I saw it was a, a YouTube video where what kurt got or whatever. He's a big YouTube guy. Um, but yeah, it'd be like the idea if you were right now firing off Morse code, uh, you would feel like the loneliest person on the planet and no one's listening to you. Whereas like, in fact, there's 7 billion people on the planet, but you're just not communicating in a way that anyone's going to talk back.
0: Yeah. And then the, the last one is like maybe a little bit off track, but you know, the theory that we're living in a simulation and it's just, you know, the, the edge of it is just not very far, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we we're we're not actually simulating (laughs) extraterrestrial life in other galaxies. (laughs) The map is not that big. Yeah, exactly. Like just, you know, thinking about the, the, you know, the graphical fidelity and how lifelike video games and, and movie CGI and deep fakes have been like, just like the, the profound difference between the state of that stuff and like the nineties compared to now yeah. is so just mind boggling. And now apply that to potentially hundreds of years of advancement. And we, you know, it's just uh simulating that's one-to-one with reality. It's like, we're already so close to it ourselves that like, it's almost like becomes unfathomable to just fully trust that mm-hmm. we're the first, you know, intelligent life to do Yeah, the such one a thing. and only. Yeah, like who says like yeah this this mirror in the Hall of Mirrors is the real one? <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's like my other favorite one. But I think I think just like the just the fact that we're constantly just prescribing like you know humanoid traits to what you know we expect to see from intelligent life in other parts of the universe is just like there's no like basis no, and like yeah there's no rational that. reason for that. Yeah, and if that's the case, then like we just we simply do not have the instruments. Or the or just the uh, the brain power to perceive it. Anyway, this has been Signs by M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> uh, overall, Dan, it sounds like you you give this movie a uh, uh, mostly a thumbs up. Is that true?
1: Yeah, mostly positive. The ending was a little silly. Um, I, I mean, it co- suffers a little bit from you know typical M Night Shyamalanisms, where you know the the characters are a little wooden here and there. But this is, I would say, this is definitely one of the uh, more heartfelt ones. Um, yeah, the ending felt a little rushed and a little like, oh, shit, what do I do with all this? Um, but Yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, I I wish I would have been, you know, man enough back when I was 10 to, to get all the way through this movie. Maybe I would probably feel stronger about it because I would that like visceral experience would probably still mark my viewing experience um, now. But yeah, overall, I enjoy it. <laughs> Awesome.
0: Well, I love this movie, and I'm glad that we were able to discuss it. Uh, what movie would you most recommend to either someone who's a fan of science, or someone who uh, might be looking for something in a similar vein, but, but uh, you know, different execution?
1: Yeah, um, continuing on the, like, you know, an alien invasion story, but its more a catalyst for a much more interesting human story um, is probably one of, I would say, one of my favorite work, living directors right now, uh, Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. I Mm. love that movie a lot. Uh, I will say no more about it because of the nature of the way the story works. Um, But anyway, it's yeah, but it's definitely one where it's an alien invasion story. Like it's definitely got this big sci fi uh, production design and every like huge storytelling, but at the same time, it's like then it, 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 it manages to keep it really small and tight and like intimate. Yep yeah I, I
0: totally agree with that um, Also uh, a good example of something that we've spoken about mo- very recently when we talked about asteroid city is like the uh, the idea of um optimistic science fiction mm, mm-hmm. um, and I think you actually used this as a recommendation based on that last time but I could be wrong about that. But we did we did discuss Arrival and yeah I doubled down on that and that's a, that's a fantastic movie, uh and the the music in it is kick ass. Oh, it's wonderful. Did I um, did I
1: recommend Arrival? I
0: off? feel like you've recommended Arrival at some point, but we for sure talked about it when we talked about Asteroid City and asked ourselves why science fiction is so damn pessimistic by and large. Uh,
1: no, um, uh, was drive my car.
0: Yeah, it, it, as far as like uh, a theater production and the yeah. behind the scenes, look at that. Um, Okay, so I, I just want to reiterate the birds and Night of the Living Dead are like what the director would recommend that you watch if you like <laughs> Signs. I would add um, Knock at the Cabin, M. Night Shyamalan, as the time of this recording, his most recent movie, very much a spiritual successor to Signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very similar, uh, just kind of rumination on faith or the lack thereof, and um, scary, uh, apocalyptic zoomed way into just uh, a family's experience with it i almost like question why he even made that movie because it is kind of just a lesser version of science in my opinion mm. um but one that i would say we could that st- also similar kind of end of the world type of premise that gets shrunk down into just a single location is 10 cloverfield lane i
1: have not seen that
0: starring uh John Goodman and just a kick ass role as the main antagonist, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and um, John Gallagher Jr. from Hush and from um, Spring Awakening. Uh, again, I can't really even take a shot at a plot synopsis without potentially ruining its secrets. But yeah, uh, just it is it has similar DNA to signs, uh, although it is not not the same type of movie um other than what i've just described but it's what was in my heart to recommend and um yeah dude 10 cloverfield lane kicks ass you should watch it
1: yeah i don't know why i haven't checked it out i've always wanted to well all right for concessions i'm jared and i'm dan and you cannot hit a baseball 570 feet